Thanks for having me, Amanda. I'm excited to be here. I'm State Representative Renita Shannon. I serve in the Georgia House of Representatives. Um, I've been serving for the last six years in the Georgia House. And for me, um, I worked on reproductive health rights and justice issues before being elected. Um, and so this has been a natural fit and a natural fight for me to continue to press to make sure that everyone has, has access to care. And I think that's important to talk about, like, what what was your work before you got elected? Because a lot of folks are just like, oh, she just speaking out because she's an elected official, but not really. Yeah. So on the professional side, I was a successful business executive. But um, the part where I was working on reproductive health rights and justice issues was that I was doing activism work um, that centered around um, repro issues. So, for example, um, Georgia had been without a now chapter, National Organization for Women, they had been without a now chapter for several decades. Um, I helped to get one going. Um, I also did a lot of work around economic justice issues. So think organizations like Jobs with Justice, Nine to Five Working Women. And what we know about repro issues are that they intersect with so many other issues. So there's no way you can work on um, fighting for workers to be paid $15 an hour at the time, because we now know that 15 is too low. But you think back to 2012 to 2013, um, at the time, we were just getting the Fight for 15 campaign um, up and off the ground. And so we were fighting over a lot of um, economic justice issues and repro um, issues fit right into that, because all of these things are uh, meet at the intersection of what it is like um, particularly in this country as a black woman um, to be living. Right. And I, I feel like that's like the conversation that's so hard to have for folks, which is like how, I don't know why it's so hard to tie to economic justice. I know folks who I've heard testimonies from mostly women of color and black women, it was always an economic decision when they mm -hmm. decided to move forward in these um, with an abortion or with whatever care that they decided they needed. And I just, want to like I, I don't think people understand how much that weighs like we we read the reports in the community about like oh it costs a hundred thousand dollars to raise a kid <laughs> nine times that stuff sits with you that I'm a single mom it sit with me I, I was determined not to pay for my son's college uh, <laughs> I was a young mother I'm a young mother and so like for me all that stuff like kind of came into play and when I hear other young women having to make heavier decisions you know, I, I don't think we give credence to how much the economic impact it is, especially on black women. Sure. And let me say this. Um, any reason that you decide you don't want to carry a pregnancy is reason enough. It doesn't have to be for economic just for economic reasons. It doesn't have to be um, for, you know, any specific reason. If you have decided you don't want to carry a pregnancy, that is a good enough reason. And you don't owe it to anybody to tell them exactly why you don't want to carry a pregnancy. Now, I will say, speaking about economic justice um, issues in, in that, like it, deciding that this is not the right time financially to grow your family, um, that may be the reason why we probably see a lot of Black women talk about that is because we are actually disproportionately represented in the number of minimum wage workers in this country. So we are making up more of the folks who are serving in retail industry, um, the service industry. And then we also know that we still experience a um, pay wage gap. So actually, Monday night was Black Women's Equal Pay Day, which if you're not familiar with that, what that means is this is the point in the year that a Black woman has to work in order to make the wages that a white man will have made by the previous year on December 31st. So let me say that again. Um, Monday, which was what, August 13th? What day is it? 
I think it was the 15th. It was the 15th. Okay, yeah, we, so, we're losing this month. <laughs> so August 15th was the date that Black women will have had to work the entire year in order to make what their white male counterparts who were doing the same jobs as them made at the end of last year. So that wage gap is real. Um, and, you know, obviously it costs money to have a healthy pregnancy. It costs money to um, grow your family. It costs money to do any of these things in a healthy way. And people are the um, experts of their own situations, including financial situation. And they know if they are in a place to want to carry a pregnancy or not. And I love that how you feel, how you like phrase that, because I just feel like I know when I like started this work, I, I was more so about like my body autonomy and the thing. And I just like, I also knew that I wasn't reaching like my peers and I wasn't having the, especially like my male peers. And I wasn't having the conversation that moved them to not even be for or against, just move them, right? To to want to learn more and to dig deeper. I think like, how do you approach that work as a state legislator? Um, how do you approach like talking to your district and your community about why this is important, why this matters? Yes. So um, I'm so glad you asked that question because I will say as somebody who has been very vocal on abortion issues um, and who has worked in this movement for a long time, I um, think that we have made the mistake of only making abortion about whether or not you want to become a parent. And that is not the only thing to be considered, um, just bodily autonomy and, you know, my body, my choice. That is not the only thing to be considered here um, when you are talking about abortion. There are many other things that I think um, and values that weigh heavily with folks um, that really sort of help them to make this decision that have nothing to do with whether or not to become um, a parent. Because for some folks, they already are parents, um, and that's not really related to um, whether or not they decide to have an abortion. Also, you have to leave room and space for people who don't even want an abortion, but need an abortion and have to get one, even though it's not even what they want. And so what I would say is um, what I'm speaking about now is the people understanding that abortion is healthcare. That is something that I really wish that our movement would have really centered um, for a very long time, as much that we would have centered that along with um, economic justice and other things, along with it being about just the decision of whether or not to become a parent. Because what I can say to you is that when you um, outlaw abortion, abortion, that actually affects not only people who know that they don't want to carry a pregnancy, but it actually affects people who want to carry a pregnancy. And that sounds like, wait a minute, whoa, what are you talking about? I thought abortion was about terminating pregnancies. Well, yes, in the, you know, people have to understand that reproductive um, health care is full spectrum. And there are a lot of things that, um, and resources and things that you may need that you may not know you need um, in order to maintain your fertility, in order to be able to grow your family in the future, or um, just in order to clear situations that are beyond our control. And so there are a lot of people who don't see themselves in this issue of protecting abortion rights who really should. Um, in fact, everybody should see, see themselves in this issue because everybody has people in their families who either will choose abortion or may need one, whether they want an abortion or not, they actually may need one for health reasons. Um, and so this issue does affect families as a whole. Exactly. And I know on social media, there was, a, you know, it was very much when, you know, Roe was banned, um, you know, and then there was no clear guidance. Um, 
and, and really people were just kind of like, you know, scrambling. And I remember like reading folks who suffer from like rheumatology issues were being mm-hmm. denied a certain prescription of drugs because that drug is also used for a procedure and um, ending a pregnancy. And they were being denied their care. And I don't think people knew how interconnected that was, which also goes back to abortion is healthcare, right? These things that we do and use for are not just being used by uh, people who want to give birth, but they're actually being used in several, many different ways in the medical field. And we just didn't deny a certain group of folks. We denied a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. the other thing too is that um, a lot of people are really starting to understand this in, a, in this issue in a way that they've never um, before. There's a lot that people don't know about pregnancy in general. Pregnancy is very complicated and no two pregnancies are alike. And so the reason why that matters for abortion rights is because whenever somebody um, becomes pregnant, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you have no clue what is going to happen with that pregnancy. So even if you are somebody who intentionally got pregnant and wanted to carry a pregnancy, you know, people can't pregnant people have very little control over how that pregnancy turns out. And too much of society um, overestimates the control that the pregnant person has over how the pregnancy will turn out, meaning you could do everything you're supposed to do, take prenatal vitamins, you could um, be exercising every day, you could be following doctor's guidelines, and your pregnancy could still not develop in a way that is viable and healthy. And so for that reason, you may have a miscarriage. And if you have a miscarriage, you will need an abortion to like, sometimes you have to have an abortion to clear the situation. So if the miscarriage does not resolve itself, you have to have an abortion to resolve that miscarriage. And if you don't, number one, it can put your life in jeopardy, but also number two, it can affect your future fertility. So for people who say, I would never have an abortion. Um, there is never a reason that I would have an abortion. I want to grow my family as large as possible. Okay. Well, even if you're somebody who intends to carry lots of pregnancies, it is absolutely possible and likely that you may need an abortion in order to literally grow your family because nobody can control having miscarriages. And when that happens, you need access to healthcare. You just do. The other thing I'll state too, is that again, people are learning so much about pregnancy in this moment, but people have been having things that are abortions that they just have not been calling abortions, like clearing up miscarriages DNEs, like these are things that people don't, people call it a DNE or I had to terminate, you know, this because I had a miscarriage. Um, I had to take this cycle of pills to resolve the miscarriage. Yes, that is an abortion. An abortion does not speak only to what is a, um, a live pregnancy. It's terminating a pregnancy, whether that is a pregnancy that went, um, that a pregnancy that is viable or a pregnancy that is not. Period. Right. Like, and, and <laughs> like, I think we just need to like really open our minds. Like everybody is, you know, everyone was a COVID expert. Right. <laughs> but, but we're not an abortion expert for some reason, even though all the information is readily available for you to research. There's so many like credible sources that you can easily just go to their website or pick up the phone and ask a question. I think, you know, like, I love how you're like really just telling this story and you're not it's not too in the weeds. It's very enough to like for everybody to understand and grasp. And I think, you know, one of the things I've always admired about you, I remember when I went 
to the Capitol the times that I was there and we were like lobbying and trying to talk to legislators. It was the way you were always eloquently telling this story to your uh, your legislators, right? To the folks that were in the Capitol with you. And I just really want to talk about like, one, where we are, where are we at this, where are we at with this in Georgia? And then two, like, what are the opportunities that we have um, as, you know, you as a legislator, myself as a citizen to really create that impact and that change? Sure. So where we are in Georgia, unfortunately, is that we do have an active um, ban on abortion in place that pretty much does outlaw abortion because it outlaws abortion um, after six weeks, unless it is in the service of saving the life of the mother. Now, um, that unless it's in the service of saving the life of the mother or if it's a pregnancy that has come from incest or if it's a pregnancy that um, is a result of rape. Now, that may sound um that may sound okay to some people. It may sound like that's not really radical, but it is very radical because let's just kind of break this apart. Number one, you're saying that people can't get abortions after six weeks. Um, if you are a person with a uterus um, and who menstruates, or if you have ever known anyone who menstruates, then you know and understand that it takes your period being late in order for people to even check if they are pregnant. So what I'm saying is you're outlawing abortion before most people even know that they are pregnant. The other thing it does is very detrimental is that this bill says it makes provisions for people who have become pregnant um, due to rape or incest, but it requires you to file a police report. Now, if you are somebody who has been, um, you know, studying what has been going on with people who are now um, trying to shed more awareness on what it's like to be sexually assaulted or to be the victim of incest, one of the main things that they will tell you is that they don't always want to report to police because when they do report to police, they're going to get interrogated and treated like a person who is automatically lying. They are not automatically believed. They are um, spoken to and talked to in a way that is often re-traumatizing. And also most sexual assault cases are not actually prosecuted because it's really hard to prove if something was an actual um, rape. So a lot of people just say, you know what, I'd rather just move on with my life and not even report this to the police for them to drag me through court dates as soon as I have forgotten about it or gone through therapy and counseling to get over being, you know, victimized. Then the next year, here's a court date where I've got to relive it. So many people choose not to report it to police. So that is something that sort of makes it difficult to even be able to access abortion care if you have been raped or in the case of um, incest, which a lot of times, if it's incest, you may not be, you're probably a minor. And um, this is probably a situation where you can't report the person who literally feeds you and keeps a roof over your head. So again, these things are not um, really written in a common sense way. Last but not least, um, the provision about saving the life of the mother I'm going to tell you this in 2019, when this bill was passed and it just took effect um, recently, but in 2019, when this bill was passed. Providers told me that the way that the language in the bill was written was that it did not protect them to be able to do abortions um, if it was to save the life of the mother. And here's why. It can be a difference of opinion from doctor to doctor about what is needed to save someone's life. And so what doctors fear is that they will choose to perform an abortion to save the life of the mother or the pregnant person. And in the back of their minds, they have to wonder, is there another physician that would say, well, you didn't really need to do that abortion in order for the uh, mother's life to, you know, um, not be threatened. So case in point, 
I had a friend who um, was getting married. She decided to lose a lot of weight and she lost almost a hundred pounds. Then she, um, so yeah, great for her. Absolutely. That's fantastic. She lost almost a hundred pounds and she had a lot of excess skin. So she went in to get the excess skin cut off. Okay. And you know, a surgery like that, you know, they're cutting skin from your stomach. It's almost equivalent to a C-section because it takes a long time for your stomach muscles to kind of grow back together. Once you have had that sort of like, um, large, large, uh, surgery. And so although your recovery time might be like eight weeks, it doesn't mean that you are completely laid out for eight weeks and you won't be able to do anything. It just means you can do more the, the closer we get to the end of the eight weeks versus right after you've had surgery. So somewhere in this process, she got pregnant, okay, during her recovery. And she wanted to carry the pregnancy because she also was over the age of 30 and she had PCOS. So she always, she always wanted to be a mom. She knew that. And she always um, was worried that she would not be able to easily become a mom after getting married because she had PCOS. And that is a challenge to fertility for a lot of people, if you're not familiar. Um, so here she is in this situation where her doctor is telling her, look, you are supposed to be growing back together thinking about abdominal muscles at this point in time from the surgery that we did, we literally cannot have you expanding. This is not the time where you can expand. If you carry this pregnancy, this will threaten your life because your body is already in the process of healing and to carry a pregnancy to do the opposite of what it needs to do to heal is not going to be good for you. And you will be risking your life. Now you think about that. She did not want to um, have to terminate this pregnancy because she didn't know, she felt lucky to even be pregnant to begin with, but she ultimately had to have this pregnancy terminated to ensure that she would be, um, you know, alive in the future to try to carry a pregnancy that would not kill her. And her husband-to-be said, look, I, I want you to terminate this pregnancy. And he was somebody who I think most people would consider as anti-abortion. He was very conservative um, from a conservative state, not somebody who you think would be you know, in fact, I think he never even said abortion during the entire um, the, the entire time that this was going on. But he just flat out said to her, I don't want any like, how is it going to help for you to carry a pregnancy um, for, for us to grow a family that you won't be around to help me raise? That's not nobody wants that. So anyways, long story short, those are the kind of situations that now Georgians and folks across the nation are being put in when you access, when you outlaw access to healthcare, which is abortion. But there's also like a couple more instances, which I just want to go back to like, I live in Georgia and it is hell to get a doctor's appointment. But by the time you even figure out, you know, like that you're pregnant and you're going to start searching for a doctor, it's already going to be too late. And we already know that half the state doesn't even have proper female centers or health centers that provide these services. So now you're on the road and -hmm. you're trying to figure this all out. And I just feel like there's this timeline that we just don't take into account and that we are setting people up for failure. And that's exactly what this law is doing. And it doesn't take an account of like being raped by your husband and domestic violence. And what does that look like? Because that does happen. That is a real thing. And some women who are still married to, you know, who their husbands who might be their abusers still carry the child or try to look for ways to not carry the child. And again, we've put them in this weird place. Then now they have to go file a police report that they're not ready to file. Um, This bill is totally ridiculous. I mean, there's a part of it that there's a recent uh, ruling that would allow for um, folks to be able to get child support at the point of um, confirming that they are pregnant. 
Okay, for anybody who doesn't understand how any of this works, you can't even determine paternity until it's almost time to deliver. Like that is paternity cannot be conducted or discovered like whose child is it like that none of that can even be done in the early part of a pregnancy so for men who think that this is just an issue that women just need to deal with and it doesn't really concern them yes it does because we are now living in a space where men can be run through a child support process just for a person saying that they have proof that they are pregnant which is like totally takes away from the due process if the couple is not married right because now well before this law it was you would have to actually prove due diligence and do the paternity of the father after the child is born and go through the whole process to prove that in order to get to the point of child support. But you don't want to hear my controversy. I think child support is uh, private prisons. <laughs> I, think, I think child support is a prison pipeline, the way we operationalize it and the way we weaponize it against folks. And so, you know, just that whole idea. And I did see on social, like people were like, well, I guess I'll carry or I'll guess. I'm like, you three talk about $3,000. Right. on your taxes and a <laughs> lifetime of other things. Please don't take this lightly. These are detrimental decisions. These are life-changing decisions. And also don't take the carrot. Don't, don't let the folks who are telling this story trick you into believing something is positive when it really isn't. Yeah, but to your point, like you said before, we already have a shortage of specialists and, and physicians here in Georgia. Um, what, what doctors told me over and over again was that under a law like this, they would likely seek to move to other states where they don't have to be sort of a mandatory reporter to law enforcement about whether about why the last time they saw their patient, the patient was pregnant. And then mysteriously, two months later, the patient is not because um, that's the situation that we're in is that doctors would have to, you know, be reporting that they think possibly um, someone has had an abortion. I mean, that case in Nebraska breaks my heart. Um, and I just like, I don't even think at that time, like lawmakers knew what that ramification looked like. The fact that like there's states like a Texas who are putting bounty, a mm -hmm. bounty out there, basically, if you tell on people and we're in inflation, so I can only imagine what this is going to really look like when it all shakes out. And I'm just like, how do you guys not understand the ramifications of when you pass this law or when you support legislation like this? Like, how do you not sit at home and go, oh, that, that could have been me. That could have been someone I know in my family. It's not because they were not told. Let me just tell you, it is not because they were not told because many people, including myself and others and experts told them that this is what it would do. We literally had doctors come to committee and say, listen, take the politics out of it, regardless of whether you think people should be able to get an abortion or not. What I'm telling you is that to outlaw access to abortion is just creates poor health outcomes. It's just bad for physical health, mental health, um, all the health, like it's just bad. This is not good, regardless of whether or not you are somebody who thinks that this there should be access to this, whether or not this is something you would ever um, have yourself. It doesn't matter. It's just bad for healthcare in general, and that's why you see a lot of countries don't even discuss abortion the way that we do. It is not a political issue. Why? Because those other countries know that access to abortion is healthcare. That's why. And just like you would never build an entire presidential campaign around whether or not people should control their diabetes, we shouldn't be talking about abortion this way either. I love that. So this is a great segue. So you did testify at the Capitol and went and talked to our Congress people. I mean, what was the point? Like, do you feel because <laughs> because I'm serious because I really want to like to have people have an understanding because like 
this started at the state level, but yes, we're having conversations at, at, at Congress. So what was the point of that? Why did you do that? And then let's talk about how the role that states really play in this moment. Sure. So I think the point of it from a congressional perspective um, was that the Democrats in the House were about to vote on a reproductive freedom bill, and they wanted people to understand all the ways and the impacts of what outlawing abortion does um, across the country, because it was really being put in too too simplistic of a way um, in the media. In the media, everything was, well, it's just about, you know, some people are going to have to try to find ways to have an abortion and travel across states. And things are being put in a very specific, in very simplistic ways. Um, And so the purpose was to really shed a light on, no, what this looks like, the consequences um, of, you know, not protecting access to repro- full reproductive health care, which includes abortion. Now, for me, the reason why I said yes, knowing that I would have to deal with um, people who I don't understand how people actually vote for them, but yet they get elected, um, knowing that I would have to, to, to talk to some of these people, um, for me was really important because I knew that I wasn't talking to these people who don't make any sense, but I was really talking to the public about what are the real consequences so that they could and then turn around, talk to their legislators on the right to say, hey, you are playing around with my health care. And I'm now realizing why this is not going to be good for anybody if we outlaw access to abortion. And so it's really about making the points that you know, I made earlier about number one, you could be somebody who would never ever choose abortion and still may need one and have to get one to save your life. Um, you, there are many reasons that people choose abortion and that, and really shedding a light on how um, pregnancies are very complicated and how no two situations are alike. And that's why we should be leaving these very personal healthcare decisions up to people, meaning the individual who ha- who need who will be affected by the decision. Um, and their doctor. That's it. Government should not be involved. Um, So that's what was happening at the federal level. As far as the states, now that Roe has been been gutted and and the right to have an abortion is now unprotected um, because of the Supreme Court, the states have the opportunity to protect abortion rights. So what we've got going on now is you have some states that have gone and um, outlawed abortion, And then you have other states that have doubled down on protecting abortion access. I'll say two things about that. Number one, it's not good, especially not good for black women and anybody of color, because even when Roe was intact, we still black women, black folks did not have access to abortion the way that white women did because we could not pay for abortions that we needed. Sometimes you can't get the childcare um, to be able to take off time to, you know, be able to have an abortion. And also, if there's any type of recovery that you need to do after, um, that may be one day of work. Maybe you can't afford to miss one day of work. Maybe you can't get childcare um, for the period of time um, after your abortion. So we've never had access to abortion. Roe was always the floor for us, never the ceiling. And so it's really inappropriate for these folks now who are saying, oh, just go to a blue state and you'll be able to get an abortion. I mean, if I couldn't get an abortion before Rofel, how am I now magically going to have the money to go to New York to get an abortion? Like it does not make sense. It just doesn't. So um, it's really important that, and the other thing too that I'll say is it's completely inappropriate and bad for families and bad for communities and individuals to have a patchwork 
of reproductive freedom across the country. Because I think that we all can agree that everybody, no matter what state they live in, should be under, um, everybody should have access to reproductive freedom. Like everyone should have access to healthcare, no matter what state you live in, no matter what zip code you live in. And so me living in the South or living in Georgia, that should not be a reason that I literally do not get to decide and make um, healthcare decisions. Correct. And I know when I was talking to Jennifer, it was very important that she she was like, first of all, they've got like 50 states participating in their reproductive um, freedom coalition, which is of state legislators. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And but she made this really, really good point that she said that, like, you know, it's not about the Californians and the New Yorks. It's about the Florida's. It's about the Georgia's. It's about the Texas. And she was like, because that's where we make the bigger moves. That's where, like, if you start changing in those states, that's where you start creating more access. And that's why we can't walk away from them. Because um, I know I hear, I know you've heard it, the chatter on, well, I'll just go here and I'll just go there. It's, I can barely leave my house on time. <laughs> <laughs> in a timely manner. Maybe in the fire and emergency, I'll get it together. But <laughs> most of the time, it takes a lot to figure that all out. And so... You know, I just really was appreciative of her laying that landscape that like it's the fight is worth it. Right. And and, and it's and it's going to be a lot of hard work. You know, I don't know what it's going to take in Georgia. I don't know if you've estimated that time. I know you're still going to continue the fight. But I just think like we've got to crawl before we ball. What people say, like we do. We do have to take the incremental wins and run with it and see where we can move more. So what in your go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, and I think the biggest thing that people can do right now um, is that they need to become educated on how abortion affects them because it affects everyone, even though it may sound like it does not. It does. And um, then talk to your lawmakers about it, specifically the ones that you know that are anti-abortion. Talk to them about these real life situations that, you know, can where abortion is actually necessary and um whether the person wants to have one or not, it's actually necessary for healthcare. Talk to the legislators about it because I maintain that right now we've said a lot of people who have moved this for political reasons. And when you look at what has happened in this country and how abortion rights became such a big political football was that in the 80s, um, the Reagan um, campaign at the time was looking for a way to coalesce white evangelicals, coalesce the Republican base. And so they landed on demonizing abortion. All before that, Republicans are mostly in favor of abortion. So again, like this is just a road that we've gone down that doesn't make much sense. And it is something that's gonna hurt all of us and really exacerbate our maternal mortality crisis, which we already know is affecting black women and women of color more than anybody else. And now with this outlawing access to abortion, anytime you outlaw access to abortion, you're gonna have um, poor health, health outcomes. So now this is a situation where anybody who carries a pregnancy can be negatively affected. Correct. And, you know, the continuance of like the litany of like reducing budgets and reducing access to healthcare. on top of that, this mm -hmm. just we're just compounding probably one of the greatest problems that we'll see for the next, you know, couple of decades until I think, you know, we have like a moral awakening in this country that like what we're doing is not right. And <laughs> And it's beyond that, right? Like we're just talking about healthcare, y'all. We're just talking about equitable access to healthcare so people can make informed decisions about their lives, which is a, such a big thing. So before we wrap up, I just want to say thank you. This was amazing. Are there any ways that people can get in touch with you or initiatives you want folks to support? 
um, while we like send them out on their way after they've had this amazing informative uh, <laughs> moment with you? Yes. So um, you can reach me on all platforms at Redina Shannon. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. What I would like for you to do is again, share with people um, all the ways that, you know, help to educate everybody about reproductive health care in general. And then the other thing I would say, um, which is really, really, really important, if you want to help us get the true access that, um, you know, get closer to the true access that we needed even before Roe fell, please donate to independent abortion providers and abortion funds. So there is um, ARC Southeast. There is National um, Network of Abortion Funds. Donate to your local abortion funds provider. And so for anybody listening who's not familiar with what abortion fund orgs do, they basically help you work through, they help you pay for and figure out the logistics to be able to access abortion care. So it's like all the beforehand stuff that's necessary that goes into it because many states have um, all these hoops you have to jump through to even be able to get an abortion, like waiting periods. And so you can imagine if you got to travel to another state and you have a 24 hour waiting period, now you're not just driving across the state line to have an abortion. You might have to stay in these states. So everything is becoming exponentially more expensive. And so the abortion providers help you figure out logistics and also the economics of how to access abortion care. Donate to them. Currently in the state of Georgia, Planned Parenthood is not even really doing abortions. So if we're past a time where we just give all our money to Planned Parenthood and hope they settle it, handle it. No, that's not going to work because they are not the ones doing the heavy lifting. It is the independent abortion providers and these abortion um, these abortion funds that are helping people figure out how to actually access abortion care. So Google your, your nearest abortion um, funds or give them your money and um, follow me on all the platforms and I'll continue to talk about this. Keys National Network Abortion Funds, these are trained people. They know what to do. They know the law and they know how to walk someone who needed the service through this properly without one, injuring them or their health. Um, and then two, without making sure that they are abiding by the laws for which wherever they are seeking their services. And so that is really important that we try to, I love social advocates. I love self-activation, but I also love it when it's educated and informed. <laughs> We're not just sharing more misinformation. Uh, Representative Shannon, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you so much. And I just learned so much and I'm so proud of you. And I'm so like, just honored that you said yes. And I just love watching you do your thing. You make us all so proud. Thank you. Anytime. I'm welcome. Anytime that you need me. So thank you so much for having me.